Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. One of the unique things about being LGBT identified, they don't share that identity with their family members. As a queer person, as an LGBTQ person, you go home to the place where you're supposed to be loved and supported the most, and yet there's a lack of full understanding of what it means to be an LGBT person. And so that I think the yearning, that urgency, that desire to find other individuals who are like you so that you don't feel, oh my gosh, I'm the only one. I'm alone. No one wants to feel that way. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Lauren. On this edition of Outcasting, we speak with Gabby Rivera and Vinnie Pompey about the concept of safe spaces, places where LGBTQ people can fully be themselves without the judgment and discrimination they often experience in the outside world. At the time we conducted these interviews, Gabby Rivera was the Youth Programs Manager at GLSEN, or G-L-S-E-N, the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. She is the author of the book Juliet Takes a Breath and the writer of the Marvel America comics. Dr. Vinnie Pompey is the director of the Youth Wellbeing Project at the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. He's also an experienced educator. All people need community and safety, but for LGBTQ people, especially youth, these needs can be heightened. LGBTQ people often face discrimination and bullying, which are threats to safety. Additionally, LGBTQ people often have difficulty finding each other to build community. Safe spaces are places where these two things can be found. As we've discussed earlier on Outcasting, a GSA is a gay-straight alliance, or a gender-sexuality alliance. It is a club, often found in high schools, in which queer students and straight allies can feel comfortable and at home with each other. It's an example of a safe space for students who may not feel that they can be themselves in other parts of their lives. Gabby and Vinny, we're so glad to have you on Outcasting. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Gabby, let's start with you. When you were growing up, did you feel that there were enough safe spaces for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer youth? Definitely not. Um, I didn't even say those words out loud about myself, like that I was gay or, or lesbian or queer or anything until I was at least 17 or 18 years old, almost on my way out of high school. But that's my experience, you know, like for me... I had gay cousins, I guess, and my family was okay with them, but it wasn't like a safe and affirming and supportive environment for me to thrive and explore my queerness, you know what I mean? Like, and I went to an all-girls Catholic school, and there was no GSA at all. There was no LGBTQ-inclusive curriculum. There was no sex ed. There was nothing. So I just kept it all to myself. I think... I started finding safer spaces in college, and I think a lot of uh, LGBTQ youth maybe experienced that as well, which is why Gleason tried so hard to make sure that there was a GSA in every high school, and middle school even, and elementary school, because they need to, safer spaces need to exist sooner for more students. 
Vinny, how do you define the term safe space? What does it mean for a space to be a safe space? A place where you could um, come into, whether that's an office, a classroom, a workspace, even your home, where you can be yourself, where you, there aren't pieces of your identity um, where you have to hide or can't fully express yourself in, in how you feel. How about you, Gabby? What does it take to make a space safe? Well, it's more like, I think, establishing safer spaces, right? You, because, you know, you can't just walk up to a space and be like, oh, it's totally safe here. Safer spaces happen when people are working together, right, actively trying to tear down, like, homophobia, transphobia, racism. You know, it's like people coming together and saying, I support you. I am here for you. And safer spaces in schools look like the presence of a GSA. It's teachers and educators being trained in how to, like, support their LGBTQ students. It's policies that specifically say, hey, you cannot bully anyone for being queer or for being black or for being marginalized in any sort of way, like, specific. And also, like, safer spaces looks like having LGBTQ inclusive curriculum in your classroom, like sitting in your math class and learning about like bisexual mathematicians and learning about all the ways that LGBTQ folks have like positively and deeply impacted society. All those four things, that's what safer spaces look like. I noticed that you're using the term safer spaces instead of specifically a safe space. What is the difference for you between a safer space and just a safe space? Well, it's kind of like when we think about allies, right? Like, if someone's like, I'm an ally, that is not a thing. <laughs> like, because it, 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 it imagines itself to be this, like, finite thing that once you get it, that's it. You don't got to do any more work. Once a space is safe, oh, my goodness, that's it. We don't got to do nothing else, you know? And so to me, to add safer space, to say acting and allyship, to me, those are like action verbs. That is something that you must continue to work at. So I think it's like remembering that it takes work and the work doesn't end. So as much as the space is safe right now and this is that moment, is it still safe when somebody else walks in the room? We must continue to be active, you know, and pay attention and remember that we need to constantly, like, educate and learn and listen. For much of the 20th century, spaces for LGBTQ people included gay bars, coffee houses, and bookstores. In the first half of the century, some states had laws banning the sale of alcohol to homosexuals, so many gay bars were run by organized crime. These bars were frequently raided by police, and being arrested meant being outed. In those days, being outed could cost you your job, your family, and your home. Since then, spaces for LGBTQ people have become more accessible and diverse. Gabby, what do you think about how things have changed? I feel like that there is a movement for queer people to engage in community in different ways. So at one point, the bar was the safest place. It was the dark place. It was the place away from people that would hurt you. It was the only other place, maybe, that you could find gay people or LGBTQ people. Like, it was more than a bar. It was, like, a home, right? And so that is why those spaces, that bar thing is so deeply connected to LGBTQ culture. And as we move forward with different, you know, technologies and shifting cultural attitudes towards LGBTQ folks, more and more people are feeling less confined 
two bars to build community. I mean, just the other day I got an email from a queer climbing group in New York that wanted to do work with Glisten because they wanted to give back and work with students. So it's like, you know, literally you can make a group for queer people to do anything, you know, rock climbing, knitting. Um, you want to go to museums, I'm sure there's like a queer museum crawl somewhere. And so I think that in a positive way it like shifts the idea of what, are LGBTQ spaces, because our spaces now are everywhere. Could you explain the need for safe spaces for students in particular? LGBTQ youth, like all youth, basically need community, right? LGBTQ youth need to see other folks that are navigating the same experiences as them. There, there needs to be like solidarity and connectedness, and community is important. It's looking at other people and seeing that you share similar life experiences and that you can support each other uh, in those experiences. It's kind of why it's also like super important and super helpful when students start a GSA in their school. In a world that's become more accepting of LGBTQ people, many schools have taken steps to make themselves better places for LGBTQ students. Are schools themselves generally safe spaces for LGBTQ students? Gabby? Our GSA of the year, the Academy for Young Writers in Bronzeville, in Brooklyn, before they even connected with GLSEN, they did a local school climate survey because people were like, um, we're pretty accepting here. It's not a big deal. I don't know why you need a club. You know what I mean? But so the students did the survey. They asked everybody in their school all the questions. And then they printed and put the results up in the main hallway. And it was like wild. People were stopping and reading and students had no idea how much bullying and harassment was actually happening in schools. And they didn't know that their teachers were maybe afraid to step up, and they didn't know all of these things. And when that research that they conducted was up, students began rallying behind the GSA and saying, oh, wow, we definitely need this. So to generally say that schools aren't safe spaces, I think that's a little too general, that's a little unfair, but it's really like on students and on administrators and on schools themselves to really dig deep and find out, is our school safe and supportive and affirming for LGBTQ youth? And then being okay and being ready to like face those answers and face that truth and making the necessary changes, adding LGBTQ inclusive curriculum, bullying policies that are specific, getting educator trainings, and letting your students start a GSA. <laughs> Do you think that allies are an important part of safe spaces for LGBTQ youth? There's definitely, as you said, need for specific communities, for students of color, for LGBTQ students. You have to have a space to, like, heal up and not feel like you have to do all the work. And that's where I think that, like, allies come in in a very necessary way, right? I mean, I'm LGBTQ. I'm a queer Latina, and I feel like I want to act in allyship with queer youth, right, as an adult, that has survived and is thriving. It's like my responsibility in my heart to be here and to do this work, you know? And so for straight folks or any other sort of allies, it's like you're important so that you can do the heavy lifting. As a, let's say a teacher, right, a GSA advisor, and let's say they're straight, maybe that teacher is the one that can take the heat and go into the principal's office and say, hey, we really need a GSA instead of like, 
students who have to face a power imbalance who are also struggling just for their right to be respected, you know, like that teacher can be that ally and take that stand and take that heat. And I think that's the best way that allies can come in and do the work is when they, you know, alleviate some of that pain and pressure um, and not try to take over and know when to back up and know when to listen. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, we're talking with Vinnie Pompey of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation about the purpose and importance of safe spaces for LGBTQ people, youth in particular. We're also talking with Gabby Rivera, who at the time we conducted these interviews was the youth program manager of the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. Vinnie, is there a ripple effect in schools that have GSAs? Research supports that schools that have um, active GSAs or LGBT inclusive clubs, not only do LGBT young people feel safer and more connected to their school, but so do non-LGBT young people. And when we also know that research says that when any student feels safer and more connected, guess what happens? Uh, Three things happen. Uh, Number one, their attendance increases their grade point average increases or their academic success increases, and their likelihood that they'll graduate college and career ready increases. And so there's those three factors that um, that we have to learn how to share those with decision makers in school systems, whether that's the school board or the superintendent, to share with them that we know that these are the things that you're really focused on and, and they're your priorities. Making sure that LGBT young people feel safe and making sure that there's LGBT inclusive clubs, that there's LGBT inclusive curricula, that there's LGBT inclusive sex education, that helps you address those priorities, attendance, graduation rate, academic achievement. You've mentioned a few reasons why safe spaces are important for LGBTQ people. How do you see the presence of a GSA in a school benefiting LGBTQ students? The first thing that comes to my mind is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Abraham Maslow in the 1940s created this theory of psychology using this pyramid, so to speak. And this pyramid has like five different levels. And the idea was that you really needed to accomplish or have the foundation of this pyramid met before you're going to be motivated and have desire to kind of move to the higher level, which is kind of self-actualization and success. And so I, I find that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, those lower levels are those levels of love and belonging and safety. And so I think there's this yearning, this desire, this urgent need for LGBT individuals to find commonality, to find uh, other like-minded um, individuals who share that identity. It's one of the unique things about being LGBT identified for most LGBT individuals is they don't share that identity, that same identity with their family members. For example, if, if you're a young person and you're living under the poverty line, or if you're a young person who's undocumented, if you're a young person who is from the Latinx community or is African American or Asian American, that you go home as a young person to family members that share those identities. But as as a queer person, as an LGBTQ person, you go home to the place where you're supposed to be loved and supported the most, and yet, uh, and I'm not saying that love and and support isn't there for all LGBT young people, but there's a, a lack of 
full understanding of what it means to be an LGBT person. And so that I think the yearning, that urgency, that desire to find other individuals who are like you so that you don't feel, oh my gosh, I'm the only one, I'm alone, no one wants to feel that way. And so it's helpful when you can surround yourself, find other individuals um, who share those similar or same identities. And talking and storytelling and sharing experiences and learning, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one who went through that experience. Or, oh my gosh, when I was five, I felt the same way. Or when I was graduating high school, I decided to move away because I was feeling that I couldn't be myself and be supported in my own community. And so when you start to surround yourself with other individuals with those same identities, I think you start to feel oh my gosh, I I now have a a different sense of love and belonging and safety because I'm with individuals who share the same kind of vulnerable, marginalized identity as this. And even though, for example, my parents might love me, um, and even if they support me, they, they still don't necessarily fully understand how I feel as a trans person, as a bi person, as a gay or lesbian person, as a queer person, as a non-binary person. Gabby? When I came out to my parents, my dad was fine. He was just, he has the gay cousin, so he was fine, right? And my mom wasn't happy at all, but she never took her love away from me. She never said, you have to leave. My mother never told me that she didn't love me anymore. She kept her love for me on the table. And so that was like a branch, right? And so that was like a moment where I was like, okay, all else fails, and this is terrible, and I can't make it through. I know that I will because my mom still loves me. My family still loves me. And so that, to me, was like kind of like proof, even though I wasn't sure what my future would be like as a queer Latina, as an adult, you know? I knew that I had my parents' love, and that type of support, like, to me, it was like a privilege and a luxury. I didn't know it at the time, but now it's like I see how so many uh, LGBTQ folks, students, don't have support at home, and then on top of that, don't have support in school. And it's just like, this is where we fight, because we have to keep our love on the table for each other. We've been discussing the influence of safe spaces in schools. Now let's shift focus to problems that LGBTQ people may encounter in other kinds of safe spaces. In June of 2016, there was a shooting at Pulse, an LGBTQ nightclub in Orlando. 49 people were killed, and 58 were wounded. It was the deadliest attack on LGBTQ people in U.S. history. Gabby, do you think that the Pulse nightclub shooting indicates a flaw in the idea of safe spaces or an even greater need for them? I think that, like, someone going in and and shooting up a nightclub, like, doesn't violate the idea of a safe space in the sense that it, like, ultra highlights the reason why we need them so badly. This type of physical violence is faced by LGBTQ people every single day. This one instance just happened all at once. This one instance is what got the media all riled up and what got like the country like in support of LGBTQ folks. But black trans women are murdered at such high rates. LGBTQ folks all over the world experience violence in the sense that like they can't get hired for a job they experience violence in the sense that like folks don't want to have them as teachers or have us as neighbors or 
uh, provide health care for LGBTQ folks or inclusive sex ed curriculum. There's so many levels of violence in safer spaces that this one very difficult and very, very sad um, shooting in a club goes beyond that. You know what I mean? Like, we're so invested in seeing the news story that the thing that they're telling us is important and we don't see all the other ways that violence manifests and why we need safer spaces in schools, in colleges, at work, in the neighborhood. You mentioned in your book, Juliet Takes a Breath, that some safe spaces have been created with people of color in mind. How should white allies involve themselves in these spaces if they involve themselves at all? Kind of like what we're seeing right now, where it's like the women's march is women of color, like Islamic women, black women, Latino women, disabled women, white women, cis women, trans women. Women are coming together, right, to make this thing happen. Now, are there lots of different factions and groups all in that one large group? Yeah, I think all those factions and groups should have spaces to meet on their own. But there's also really, really good stuff that happens when we come together respectfully. And so anytime an ally wants to, like, come into a space, they should ask themselves, hey, why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of this? Is there work I could be doing? Is this what these folks need from me right now? Do they need me to come in here and talk to them about this stuff? Or, like, should I go build on my own and and learn on my own? And then when we're all ready to come together, maybe that's when I come in. You know what I mean? Like, I think it works like that. I think we we navigate and we try and we do our best and we allow people to make mistakes, but we also know when to own our own mistakes and educate ourselves as opposed to having other people do it for us and as opposed to having to push ourselves into other people's spaces. Vidi, do you think that safe spaces are needed more now under the Trump administration? We're learning that the level of bullying and bigotry and harassment, uh, bias-based bullying, uh, for the most part, um, has skyrocketed during the presidential election and since the presidential election. So if, if you have increases in bullying and harassment based on an individual's LGBT identity or because they have parents of the same gender or because they're Muslim, undocumented, HIV positive, whatever the young person's um, identity is, there's going to be more and more need, again, to have affirming safe spaces for those individuals to navigate to. Again, going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you really need to make sure that these individuals feel safe, whether they are or not, that they feel safe, that they're loved, and they feel a sense of belonging so that they could then go into those other areas of the pyramid higher up and and be successful in life. And so they're motivated to reach higher and higher and to thrive. And it's really important that we pay attention to those basic needs of every individual in this country. And right now, those who identify as LGBT or these other marginalized groups who continue to feel attacked by Trump in the administration I think, need a lot of our love and a lot of our attention right now. Um, And safe spaces are just one of those ways that we could um, use to make sure they get the message that, hey, I know that you watched the news last night and this is what you heard and this is how you feel now, but now you're at the school and at this school we affirm and value and celebrate you regardless of your identities or because of your identities. And so, again, I, I, I urge anyone who's listening, if you work with young people, to make sure that you're talking to your students about 
that no matter their identity, that they can be who they are. They can bring those identities with them to to their school um, and that you love them unconditionally, you value them. And if you're a parent listening, talk with your kids, whether they're LGBT identified or not, or whether you don't even know, let them know that you love them unconditionally, regardless of who they love or who they are, and that you'll support them no matter what. I think, again, young people really need to hear that right now. Gabby? We have always been fighting. We have always been fighting uh, for our rights, for equal rights, for protection, for support. This administration is like just reminding us of how strong we are in a sense because we've never tolerated this. We will not tolerate um, mistreatment. We will not tolerate violence. We will not tolerate transphobia, homophobia, racism, any of that stuff. As far as safer spaces go now, what I'm hoping is that more and more folks who aren't LGBTQ are, are seeing it too. And more and more folks that aren't people of color are, are seeing these discriminatory practices and are seeing this violence and are also saying, wait, I am not with this. I'm not with this administration. This is not who I am. I'm going to rally. I'm going to go into the streets. I'm going to call my congressperson. I'm going to connect with my local school and see if they have a GSA. Like, you know, like people are stepping up harder, I think, especially like in this time. So so that's what I, what I think the conversation around this administration should be. Vinny, what are the next steps in the fight for LGBTQ rights? I think that um, we will continue to have to fight for our civil and equal rights as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer individuals. Probably throughout my entire lifetime, when you look at other civil rights movements, those aren't something that The Supreme Court rules on something and the issue goes away. Unfortunately, changing hearts and minds is just something that takes several, several generations. If a gay person were to come to me saying that our fight is over, I would um, probably have a, a deep conversation with them about we will be fighting for every right that we have earned and we will continue to have to fight for many more rights that are to come. So we should never be complacent and, and never feel calm. Going forward, Vinny, how can all of us be better advocates for the LGBTQ community? Something I I learned from learning about Harvey Milk is the power of sharing your story. And when you feel comfortable to come out and and be who you are, share your story with your colleagues, with your neighbors, with anyone who will listen. I mean, sometimes I share my story with a person sitting next to me on a plane because I don't know if I might be able to change or open up their heart and mind as it pertains to how they feel about the LGBT community. And I think um, you'll be surprised how many people you can kind of change uh, the way they feel by educating them on your story, your personal experience. Um, And if we can do that, we can continue to do that as a community and we can um, earn the respect and understanding and compassion of more um, allies or those individuals who are non-LGBTQ. then I think we're, we'll be in a, in a really great place in the future. Um, so continue to come out, share your story when you feel safe to do so, and, and get involved. Write a check, and if not, volunteer. Vinnie Pompey is the director of the Youth Wellbeing Project at the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. When we conducted this interview, Gabby Rivera was the Youth Programs Manager at GLSEN. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I am honored to be part of this conversation. I'm, this is a rad show, and I wish you so much luck with it. 
And that's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Alex, Samantha, Andrea, Max, Quinn, Nico, Dante, Druve, Lucas, Jamie, Sarah, Brianna, and me, Lauren. Our assistant producers are Alex Mintz and Josh Valley, and our executive producer is Mark Sophus. These interviews were originally recorded separately. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. All right, go get a piece of paper. I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting LGBTQ Resources. I'm Lauren. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.